Welcome in to another edition of the Stripe Show podcast. It is Froggy Wednesdays, and I'm telling you, our guests are getting better every single week. Last week, we had Rocco Mediate. We talked about his 91 epic battle, 91 hole epic battle with Tiger Woods at the 2008 U.S. Open. And now this week, we've got PGA Tour winner of the uh, Greater Vancouver Open in 1998. He bested Payne Stewart by three shots but also known for what he has been called the Da Vinci of sports commentators. Sometimes he's made me really mad. Other times I'm like, Brandel, say it louder for the people in the back. We've got Brandel Shambly. Thank you so much for tuning in, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure to join you. Uh, yeah, it's always nice to catch up. And uh, yeah, I didn't realize you guys had Rocco, Rocco Mediate last week. How was that? That'd be great. He's <laughs> animated as hell. He is awesome. He was sitting on his back porch in Pennsylvania, smoking a cigar and just told <laughs> stories about that epic battle that he still remembers as if it was yesterday. Yeah, well, no reason to forget that. I certainly haven't. Brenda, do you agree that's probably one of the greatest major championships of, of, of the current era of our lifetime? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, you know, if I were ranking U.S. Opens, 1960 comes to mind, surely. Um 1980, surely, 2000. But I, I, you know, I, I don't know how you beat 2008 unless you want to say the 2019 Masters. So, right, <laughs> I give you that one too. Yeah, Tiger was pretty epic you know, too. Tiger's pretty good at delivering uh, epic comebacks. Jack wasn't too bad at uh, delivering, um, you know, mind blowing comebacks as well. You know, 80 for him was, was amazing. He birdied the last two holes and right. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun to sit around and talk about the best, but I, yeah, nobody. I'm one of these people that it goes by era. Like for example, I'm, I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. So I'm a little jaded, but I believe that Tom Brady is the greatest of this era. I could argue that he's the greatest football player we've ever seen and probably will ever see in my lifetime, but it's hard to, to compare eras. And so, what we've seen in this era is is truly uh, unbelievable. You know, a lot of times we have a guest on and I'm like, how are we going to cover 30 minutes? Like, what all is there going to be to talk about? I got to be honest with you. Today, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried how we're going to get everything in because there okay, are so many things. Okay, then I'll try to keep my answer short. No, there's so many things I want to <laughs> ask you. And I and, and, and I love your answers were always well thought out. They're very educated. Whether you agree with them or whether you don't, they, they always come from a place of education, which is which is all you can ask for when you ask somebody a question. U.S. Open, John Rom. Is there anybody else? If the golf gods could have had anybody else win, did anybody else deserve to win that tournament more than what after what happened at the Memorial? No, no. Uh, I mean, the way know, he the, handled it, the the, the, the class. Because I was one of the people screaming on the mountaintop, just let the guy play by himself. Have somebody ride along with him. Do whatever we can. He's got a six shot lead. He deserves to win. He handled it with such class and said, you know what? These are the rules. I ha- I'm I'm going to wait. I'll get better. I'll be back and play the U.S. Open, and he wins. It's It was complete poetic justice and karma played out right in front of our eyes. It really was. It was the ideal of, you know, especially in, a, in an era where everybody wants to claim some aggrieved status. Um, and he could have played that card if he wanted to. And he took the nuanced because you know there was nuance there and and he was those people now want to you know just ignore nuance and and he he understood the nuance uh he understood that that the rule was was set in place long before he ever teed off at Muirfield and then he 
accepted the consequences. Uh, you know, initially you saw the pain because it, it had to have hurt. I mean, it was another win when we measure people by wins and FedEx Cup points. And I mean, that's the, that currency is it's uh, you know, it's it's almost more important than the money because it leads you to even more money kind of thing. Right. So now he, he no, I've never seen anybody handle that kind of uh, shocking news better. I've never any, heard anybody talk about it uh, more eloquently. And then you're right. From a, he called it karma, um, poetic justice, whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, it's a guy that's on an incredible, you uh, can't even say it's a hot run because he's been doing this for uh, five years now. You know, he, he's so consistent and he has evolved into the best ball striker on the PGA Tour. And going into the event, he was the best golfer on the PGA Tour, irrespective of what the world rankings say. Much like Tiger Woods was the best player going into the 2008 U.S. Open, irrespective of what his health would have said. And uh, in both instances, uh, the golf course proved to be an ideal stage for the best player in the world. Well, Brando, do you agree that we have seen John Rahm uh, mature a great amount in the way he handles uh, when things aren't going his way. It's kind of happened right before our eyes. And, and now with the way that Memorial was handled and to see that the way things played out at the U S open, have we seen him grow up just here in the last couple of years? Well, you know, people, um, you know, I, I'm around it a lot. I hear it a lot that people, they um, extrapolate from his behavior on the golf course to his character. And, and, and I get that that's easy to do in sport, but we're often wrong in doing that. Um, you know, he is very high spirited on the golf course, uh, suffers from a lot of highs and lows. It's never affected his golf on the golf course. That's not what affects his golf. I mean, there is that bounce back stat, how, how well you do after you make a, a bogey and he's always amongst the leaders. So it's not like he makes a bogey and loses the plot. Um, but the one thing I've always, and I, I'd agree with you, he's he's matured as a player in the sense that he's become a better iron player. And in this particular instance, um, you know, he's 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 struggled when he's gotten close to the lead for as often as he's contended. You could argue that, you know, he hasn't had as many wins as you would have expected. Right. And a lot of that has to do with him getting quicker and quicker when he's in the top 10 or when he's close to the lead, he's been better at chasing. And, and this was, I think, an evolution for him. You know, I, I think, whereas you see some players win and you think that's lightning in a bottle, that's them playing the best golf they could ever play. You know, I, I watched him and I think he can play a lot better than this. Uh, and this is the next, I mean, this is a huge uh, step because it, I, you know, again, we sit on the set and we, we, we look at wins and sometimes we'll talk about that as this will catapult them to the next level, but often major championship wins are, are more of an ending than a beginning. Um, And this is, I would argue, and I think most people would agree more of a beginning. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, I'm surprised he doesn't have a major championship already to his credit. And and Mm. this could be what I believe to be an avalanche uh, that could start because he is such a good ball striker. And he's also, what we've seen is he's one hell of a putter as well. He puts very well on putts that a lot of people as a right-handed player, myself being a right-handed player, I know that downhill slider to the right, we tend to miss 
on the short side. You tend to miss it. You don't hit it hard enough because you wipe at it a little bit. But those two putts he made on 17 and 18 were not easy putts, and he put them right dead in the center of the jar. I think his putting is underrated as well. Hey, you think about it, he's already accumulated in, an, in his short span of professional golf these, you know, at, at least by my count, four epic putts coming down the stretch. Uh, obviously the one he made from the back of the green when he won his first tour event at Torrey Pines, the one he made uh, at, at the BMW uh, on right. the final green at Olympia Fields, and then these at 17 and 18, this is uh, Tiger stuff. Tiger used to have a capacity for miracles that, um, you know, was was fantasy. You know, it was like pure fantasy. You, you just can't do the things that Tiger did over and over and over again. I mean, every player gets his moment, but – you know, to see a player come along who could hold wedges and stiff it and make putts from every conceivable direction um, when he absolutely had to. Nah, I mean, you, you know, Shakespeare didn't have that kind of imagination. And uh, and and John Rahm's got that. What else could you ask of, of an athlete? Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Improve your golf swing today. Pro level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate within 2% of a $20,000 unit. The Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats and stores video with Shot Tracer, helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback data and creates a better practice environment, not mindlessly hitting balls. Extremely portable, Case is about the size of a rangefinder, and you know what? You can use it both indoors and outdoors. I love this launch monitor. It's the Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Check it out at rapsodo.com. R A P S O D O.com. Rapsodo.com. Yeah, I mean, what do you make of? So I saw a stat the other day that our, our most recent U.S. Opens, we've had. Brooks Kepka's won twice, Dustin Johnson, Gary Woodland, Bryson DeChambeau, now John Rahm. Has distance overtaken accuracy at the U.S. Open where it used to be a game all of accuracy? No, not at all. Uh, on the contrary. Um, so if you you can find a period, uh, let's say from sort of the mid-80s to the mid-90s where you could you could find a run of short hitters that one shortish hitters that one would you would say with accuracy, great accuracy. And that's the, that's the Ray Floyd, uh, Scott Simpson, Curtis Strange, uh, Lee Jansen, Corey Pavin. Uh, that's that era. Okay. And it's just a straight run. And that's, that's, so it's almost a decade. Um, and and what you'll find is they were about 22nd in driving accuracy. Really good stuff. And then you, you come forward 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20. Uh, um, and John Rahm would fit into this category. And you find players, and by the way, those players that I just mentioned from the late or mid 80s to mid 90s, they averaged bottom of the field in driving distance. Okay. Right. Now then you, you have players that are, in the top five in driving distance or about 24th, 25th in driving accuracy. So almost identical in accuracy to the shortest hitters that were winning us opens. And they're the longest hitters in the game. So what you have is not an evolution of long, but inaccurate drivers, 
but you have a, a revolution of of the longest straighters hitters, more complete players in the game. Better athletes come along, and not only are they more powerful, but they're better athletes, so they swing better, um, and they can incorporate all of the diagnostic tools that we have available to the players. So what we have right now is is more great players in the game. It used to be that a Greg Norman came along and he did it long and straight. You think, okay, well, that's 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 an aberration. Nobody can do that. Right. Well, now we have a dozen players that can do that. Wow. And and they're on the landscape. They're here. And it and and they're driving it long, they're driving it straight. They're complete players. Tiger brought better athletes to the game, but the diagnostic tools available because of the money and the interest and you know, I think a higher quality of teacher coming to the game. Uh, has brought about uh, a better understanding of where power comes from, but also where accuracy comes from. Would you agree that TrackMan has completely, or the track, not just TrackMan in itself by name brand, but in, in the the Doppler radar equipment that's out there, has completely revolutionized the game probably as much as anything else? I don't give TrackMan that much credit. Uh, uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's more um, pressure maps, pressure tracing, I think it's more high-speed video. Uh, I think it's understanding center of mass traces, um, and and I think it's the long drive guys. Um, you know, you you have a very clear understanding now of where power comes from. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think yeah, TrackMan, FlightScope, they they were fine. They they certainly they 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 help. They they get some credit, but what you have is a better understanding now of how to move in the golf swing. And because of high speed video, you can, you don't have to guess. You're not guessing about where the hands are, um, what sort of anatomical precision or, or uh, um, you know, how, how you can accurately describe what wrists and elbows and shoulders are they internally or uh, externally rotated or the inflection or the extension right you don't have to guess anymore you can see it and you can know i mean i i argued for years about uh, against these the center post golf swing or lean left golf swing and you know to me it was always incredible that anybody could even counter the argument it's like who I, I hear people say that you should be centered. Like nobody did that. And people would look at me incredulously. Well, now, because you can go to YouTube and the, the, you can see that nobody stays centered. You can see that the head does stay centered. Nobody argues that anymore. Right. And, and once people understood that you got to move and turn and extend and drop down and explode. So uh, there are a lot of things that, that have brought about this evolution of more complete players. Uh, and TrackMan is one of them, but I wouldn't give it the, the lion's share of the work. Now, speaking of g- golf swings, and I know you are a fan of, of length in the golf swing, not the short compact. So John Rahm is, is obviously known for the, for the bowed uh, left rest at the top, but his backswing uh, is much shorter than what we have seen where guys where I know that you're a fan of the heel coming off the ground and that kind of stuff. Is ROM swing one of longevity that can last, or is it eventually going to break down because our bodies aren't meant to to restrict and then rip through? Well, history says, you know, it's it, 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 it's likely not going to be one of great longevity, uh, you know. But, you know, history changes. I mean, you know, um, 
fitness change, his um, understanding of, you know, I mean, he's, I, I see all the posts, he's with all these great flexibility and fitness guys. Um, I, I've never liked the short, quick swing for a couple of reasons. One, because it leaves so much power um, in reserve. Uh, two, because it tends to be more injurious on the body. Um, uh, and I, I watch it um, time and time again. And, and, and three, the longer swing hits it higher. I could go on and on and on about the benefits of a longer golf swing. Uh, but all you have to do is look at Tom Watson and Sam Snead and Phil Mickelson. And they, 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 they make the argument. Um, short golf swings, you know, nobody has a shorter, quicker one than Ron. Nobody. Uh, in the history of this game, I've never seen a shorter, quicker swing than him. Uh, people say it's like Lee Trevino. It's like pff, Lee Trevino's swing was much longer than John Robb's. Yeah. I've got a video of Lee Trevino playing in majors uh, where he's, you know, he's almost got the club to parallel. I mean, it's a, just a click short of parallel. John Rom is three-quarter swing at best. Um, but, I mean, you know, let's – once he changes direction, he goes into and gets into – some of the most beautiful positions. I mean, he goes very Byron Nelson on you in a, in a heartbeat. Now, Byron had a pretty short swing. Uh, we don't know if his would have lasted a long time because he retired, but right. Byron had a pretty short swing. And, and John Rahm looks closer to Byron Nelson through the golf ball than any player I've ever seen. People love to say he looks like Lee Trevino, and, and there's certainly some things they have in common in the backswing, but I, I would say it looks more like, like Byron Nelson. So, uh, look, the short, quick golf swing that he had, I, you know, I, I, I looked at, you know, I, I thought it was going to be problematic for him until he learned to slow it down. Um, you know, but as he gets older, we'll see, you know, I hope it does it, but my guess is, you know, it'll get, it's not going to, you know, golf swings don't get longer as they get older, they get right. shorter. Right. And if, if he loses that space where, he can turn things into gold um, from backswing to downswing and it gets quicker Then you know, the game gets really, really hard. Um, and I've looked at every short swing pretty much you can, you could imagine, but I've never seen one shorter, quicker in the realms, but look, he's a very big guy. He's very strong. And um, so he can afford to leave a little power in reserve and, and still hit it out there far enough. Uh, but again, his transition and his move through impact and his position at impact, I've, I've put it on Twitter long before you got here. I put it on there in 2017, 18, somewhere in there. I was like, put him up and I put Byron Nelson up. I'm like, I've always looked at Byron Nelson's impact position and thought that was it. That's a gold standard. I know people love Hogan uh, and there's plenty of others to choose from. But in my view, nobody ever gotten impact position better than Byron Nelson. And, and here comes Rob, who's in the same spot. Right. I know a lot of people complain about the world golf rankings and they don't like them and they think there's needs to be some update to it, but you know, it's, it, it seems to be getting it right. John Rahm is now currently the number one in the world. I know it's a razor thin margin, uh, Dustin Johnson, number two, and uh, Justin Thomas at number three. Uh, do you agree that, that those are the best three players in the world right now? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's not, there's, it's more common for parity to be at the top. Uh, it's, it's rare when you get um, separation at the top. Very, very rare. I mean, throughout history, there's only been a few players that separated themselves from other superstar peers <clears throat> of their era. So parity at the top is the norm, not the exception. Um, uh, so, you know, at, at any given time, if Dustin Johnson's playing his best golf and 
Justin Thomas is playing his best golf and John Rahm's playing his best golf. Uh, and, and let, you know, if Rory started playing his best golf, um, it, you know, I mean, I, th- I think that we, we would have, you know, tissue thin differences between these players. Right. Uh, I always felt like Rory because he came out one ma- majors in blowout fashion uh, and then won four majors very quickly in his career. I thought, well, he's going to double digits and uh, he can separate himself. He always looked like the player who could. But as we know, hurdles, they just pop up out of nowhere. Yeah, it's, it's, they, they just pop up. Injury, swing changes, um, you know, life gets in the way and, and it, it works to slow players down. Um, and that's that's just the nature of the game. That's why you have more parity at the top, because little things happen to uh, to keep people from having that blue flame of intensity that they need to play the greatest golf. You were there for all, all four days and obviously well before, and you've spent plenty of time at Torrey Pines. Do you, do you feel Torrey was a good venue? There was a lot of talk that we go there every year already, and, and all there is to do is grow out the rough and this, that. And I, I've heard all the detractors. I thought on Sunday afternoon when you looked at that leaderboard, and there were still nine holes of golf to be played. It was really a very good test. We had the top players in the world at the top. I felt like Torrey gave us a good, uh, you know, test for the greatest players in the world. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, we all, we're all on Twitter and like Twitter's a very small pocket of people that talk right. about golf. Um, right. And they're Twitter. often not very positive. <laughs> well, yeah, as has been, you know, I, I, I looked this up a few years ago, but Twitter skews young, it skews negative and it skews liberal. Um, sure. um, so, you know, so when you go on there, you have to understand it's a very biased pocket of people that you're talking right. to in the golf world. It skews pretty young for sure. Uh, and, and the grumpier, people are the more they get uh, attention and the grumpiest people in golf are, are people who think that every golf course should be a, a Lynx golf course. It should have been designed by old Tom Morse or George <laughs> Thomas or Tilly, you know, and if it wasn't, right. it's a crap golf course and it wasn't blessed to have fescue all over it. And um, it's got to be Brown and have no trees and got to have some people in tweed, um, <laughs> blowing on the pipes otherwise it's a otherwise it's a crap course right uh you know that, those are just they're just a bunch of grumpy pit people uh and it's bad when you know what people are going to say about a golf course uh before they ever speak uh I, i'm i'm not of the view that the golf course is is great but i would say the golf course is fine it's good uh and what reese jones has has done is if 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 you can't, it, or should I say, is it not often or always even the criticism of golf course that it favors one particular type of player? It, that's that's the quickest criticism of a golf course. Oh, it favors short hitters or it favors long right. hitters, or and that's the worst pejorative category. It's just a bomb and gouge golf course. And so when you have a golf course that is now two for two at divining out. When Tiger Woods went into the U.S. Open in 2008, he was leading the tour in scoring average, and he was the best ball striker, demonstrably the best ball striker on tour. And John Rahm went into this U.S. Open leading his scoring average and was demonstrably the best ball striker on tour. Is it not um, 
at least a good thing to say about a golf course that it right. defined out the very best player and along the way provided opportunities for every kind of player short hitters old old players right. uh long and crooked long and straight every type of player um and you know people say well every hole looked alike well you know it's you know not every golf course is blessed with you know um you know, being right on the, being right. This is on a cliff overlooking the ocean. And right. I would say, I would say, look, I could differentiate between the holes. I, I could certainly differentiate between right. the holes. I didn't think every hole looked alike. And uh, except for not having enough punishment for the bailout on four, um, you know, that I had an issue with that, being able to bomb, bomb it over the bunkers and bail out right the way Bryson DeChambeau and many others did right. on four. That that's a criticism I had, but otherwise I think the golf course was, uh, you know, it was extraordinary. It was beautiful, um, and it's uh, it does a very nice job of uh, providing a great stage for the best players. Yeah, and I mean the best player won. I, I don't feel like we got a, a a parody of a player that won. I feel like at the end of the day, the best <laughs> yes. player won. Yeah, and uh, and that's fair. Uh, something that you know we always talk about, and and, and the. the and I'll give you my opinion after, after you give yours and maybe we'll have the same opinion. Who do you think is the best player right now that does not have a major championship? The best player right now that doesn't have a major championship. Uh, I've got my thought is why. And I, I wanted to ask yours um, because I think there's one player that we all thought would already have one by now. Sander Shoffley. That's um, exactly what I've got written down. He has been yeah. nine yeah. top 10 finishes in 17 career majors and doesn't have one yet. And I feel like I, I, I felt like th there was a time on May, Friday or Saturday that I felt like maybe it was his turn and maybe he was going to get in the mix and he backed off. I, Xander is so good, but I do feel like he is probably the best well-rounded player that doesn't have one yet. Yeah, he was my pick Wednesday night. You know, Wednesday night live front, we always made pick. And I, you know, and I, I didn't pick John Rahm uh, because I had picked him to win the PGA Championship. And, um, you know, he, he, you know, he, he kind of did what, what he's done prior to. We got close and then fettered it away, but ultimately right. played fine. Uh, I picked Xander because, uh, you know, just everything pointed towards Xander. Uh, every, actually, everything did point to John Rahm. Everything, and he was the favorite, and blah, blah, blah. but I didn't pick him. I picked Xander. Everything else pointed to Xander, and I picked him. I didn't know. I was off the week he went to the arm lock putting. I, I knew that he lost strokes arm lock putting. I I thought that he would show up and putt okay. I didn't realize that he was going to putt so poorly. Well, the whole um, reason he's doing it is weird. He says he's doing it to prove that it's cheating and that it's not fair. It's a, it's a little strange. You know, look, he was, I, I get it. Um, I think the whole world can, you know, can see that without him wiping the tables with it. He was right. a top 10 putter in the world. What? Top 10. He was right. top 10 putter in the world. And he, he was, you know, he putted bismally there. If he had putted the way he had been putting, he would have won the U.S. Open. Now, look, these things don't. Could he have handled the pressure? Would he have been there? Right. But statistically, he would have likely won the U.S. Open. Um, you know that 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 was a that was bizarre to me. Why someone would stick with a method that you can clearly see it's inadequate. Now, 
it's it, it's inadequate to what he was doing. And he's now stuck stuck with it. Maybe he turns around or wipes the field. But in the meantime, he he lost a U.S. Open using the arm lock photo. Right. Um, you mentioned swing changes earlier, and everybody's going through swing changes. But I think that, that there's two that have, have really been kind of prominent lately. Uh, one is Jordan Spieth, and another is Rory McIlroy. Um, I'm not seeing a lot of differences in Rory. I felt I saw more at the Wells Fargo when he won. His club looked a little more laid off at the top and looked like he was trying to hit fades. But now this past week at the Open, the club looked like it was more back across the line and he was back to hitting draws again. Yeah. But Jordan Spieth's changes are, I mean, way different. And what do you make of both guys and the changes that they're going through right now? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd hope that Rory's on his way to a spot closer to where he was when he was younger. And, and yes, I watched, you know, the shot tracer show draw after draw after draw with Rory at this, at this U S open. Uh, and, and his, his ball striking was good enough to where he could have won. Yeah. Uh, he putted terribly. Um, you know, the difference between what, what he was and what John Rahm was, was basically just in the putter a little bit in the ball striking, but, but mostly in the putter, um, and I, you know, I, he's he's played good enough with this golf swing now, where I think, okay, he can he can figure it out. It's not as good as the golf swing was when he when he came out. But Roy would argue he can't do that anymore. But I would argue this golf swing is not as good as the swing he was using in 2017, 18, 19. Um, so I, I'm I'm not crazy about what I see with his golf swing. I think he gets under it. Uh, he's got to flip too much. He's got to yeah. stall. Um, and I think that's because he's too deep at the top, not enough upright. Uh, he played better when he was more upright and he had a little more cup in the left wrist. Um, that's when he played his best. So, you know, I, I personally think he could get back there. But, uh, you know, he, he argues he can't. Uh, certainly I'll defer to him, but he could get back to something like that. Right. Uh, with with Spieth, it's one of the more bizarre makeovers. And, and look, it, it stopped – uh, his his downward slide in the world rankings and turn things around and he's his iron play was extraordinary at the U.S. Open. Uh, George Spieth, you know, uh, but I didn't pick him because even at his best, with the exception of his first year on tour, when he, you know, he was I would say in his first year on tour he averaged sixty seven percent of the fairways. George Spieth did. Wow. He was he was twelfth in strokes gained off the tee his first year on the tour. So he was good enough then not to have ever touched it and to go on and be a good driver of the golf ball. And if that's the case, um, things would have you know would have progressed uh, accordingly. But now he's a low fifties percent fairways guy um, and laid off. And when I look at him at the top, I think, well, he how's he going to get that on the ball? How, how could he even get it on the ball from there? You know, he's not like laid off the way John Rahm is, where he gets up there and it, it makes sense. You know, as soon as he makes his transition down, you think, oh, this is going to be awesome. I mean, the club just gets right where it needs to be. With speed, when he transitions, you, you think, this still doesn't look good. Um, you know, I, I'm not a fan of, of, of his golf swing, but I'm a fan that he's turned things around. Uh, you know, he's, he struggles with his driving still, so he's not anywhere close to being – you know, the player he was from 2013 through 17 or 15 uh, when he drove it great from. Right. Um, so, look, I mean, he just apparently he couldn't he couldn't find his way back home. So this, you know, for the, what I understand is this one is is 
is it's got Jason Duffner's fingerprints all over. Uh, Jason Duffner's worked with him on on his golf swing. I'm, I'm hearing that from you know a lot of different people, um, enough to where I I, I believe it um, because you know this is such a a crazy different golf swing, and I know that you know Jason Duffner's got uh, sort of the same movements um, and, and and sort of swing thoughts that that I see in in Jordan Spieth's swing. Now, uh, there's a lot of talk of shallowing the club. Like that seems to be the new thing everybody's talking about, shallowing the club. And as you see in Jordan's uh, pre-shot routine, you do see him lay it and then just rotate really hard left. Yeah. Why all this talk about shallowing the club? And are you are you on board with this? Is this something you agree with? Is there something an amateur should be trying to do where they're abducting that right arm, almost, almost, almost like losing an arm wrestling match with your right arm? to get the club behind you and then rotate through. Yeah, that's a bad way to do it. I'd argue, um, you know, you could shallow the club without externally rotating your trail shoulder. I don't think you should try to externally rotate your trail shoulder to shallow the club at all. I, I think, you know, the proper way to shallow the club is like, at least in my view is, is to be a little bit more inflection and transition, you know, and it, it'll happen naturally. I mean, shallowing happens as a consequence. You can't force it. You try to force it, you'll be too late in the subsequent movements to ever square the club face up. It's just got to happen because of a sequential transition from backswing to downswing. Things just have to happen correctly. You know, uh, George Gankus has, has been very successful at getting players to shadow the club by internally rotating the shoulder on the backswing um, and, you know, having the right wrist, you know, more in, or the trail wrist, more, more in pronation. So, but if you go more inflection and transition, you know, the, the, you know, the, the club will, you know, it'll bring about a nice shallowing, not enough shallowing. Tiger Woods did this. If you go back and look at Tiger Woods down the line on any video and you, you know, you want to measure the angles that he has at the top of his backswing to the beginning of his downswing. And you'll, you'll see how much compaction you have uh, and, and the shallowing will just naturally happen. Uh, I think, most amateurs lose their posture uh, and they stand up and you stand up, you know, you're, you're not going to shallow the club. All kinds of bad things are going to happen. Right. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, to talk about shallowing, I mean, it, 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 it's cool. I mean, the best ever at it was Byron Nelson. And if you go back and you look at the way Byron Nelson took the club back, I mean, it's a, it's, you know, it's, it's very much like, you know, I, I wrote about this in my book. It's like, where, okay. I mean, this right hand is like that going back. It's not like that. You know, right. he's not, he's not rolling up. That would be externally rotating your shoulder going back like this. Right. Right. With so your he's, palm, he's, right palm. He's very much palm. like this. Now, now the reason I say, I don't think the right shoulder goes like that in transition, right? It, 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 it goes from less internal rotation, goes from internal rotation to maybe less but I don't think you go like this um, because I don't, I don't want my right arm to go like this. You know, it's, it's more like this way. It's going to be more pronated. Um, right. So, I mean, you know, then these are the th reasons why I think golf swings are better is because now then you can look and very clearly see whether somebody's trail shoulder and right wrist and exactly what's happening and you can zoom in on it. And then, um, you know, I think the whole teaching world, owes a debt of gratitude to a fellow by the name of Kelvin Miyahara uh, from Hawaii, who 
you know, he, I think he was the source of the anatomical precision with which people speak now. Uh, he got the ball headed in that direction, and that would have been about mm, maybe 15 years ago. Um, you know, I'd go online and read his stuff, and I was like, this guy's amazing. And I got on a plane and flew out and spent a day with him and and just to, just to try to understand where this wellspring of knowledge was coming from. The day after I left, two days after I left, he had a stroke, and um, you know, he's, he's been incapacitated as far as I know wow. since it's unfortunate, but, but Kelvin taught, you know, Kelvin or, or the people that worked with Kelvin went and they shared their information and it goes all the way to Gankus and Como and Lucas Wald. And, you know, now all of them will find little things that they disagree with, with Kelvin on, but all of them will find little things that they disagree with each other on too. Right. But what they all get right is the anatomical precision with which they talk and and the understanding of I think they have a greater understanding of cause and effect and and shallowing can come about, you know, in any number of ways. But 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 mostly I think it comes about with um, uh, you know, proper body movement and transition. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sports book, but also America's top rated sports book. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors in nearly limitless ways to get in on all the actions. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will, too. Listen to this great offer. Place a pre-tournament wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if Bryson DeChambeau sinks a birdie this week. That's 100 to 1 odds. On Bryson hitting a birdie during the tournament. 100 to 1's odds on an offer like this doesn't come around often. So sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on all the actions. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. So you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TRAVIS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if Bryson sinks a birdie this weekend. That's code Travis to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbooks. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Yeah, I would be... Uh completely out of line if I did not ask you, and I know you have a, a very extreme opinion on the Brooks Bryson thing that, 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 that's been going on and continues to go on. And yeah. I don't know if it's driven by the player impact program and social media. I'm not sure exactly what's driving it, but Bryson's performance at the U S open to, I mean, almost made a hole in one on number eight there. Yeah. And it just came completely undone. 11, 12, make bogeys 13, his foot slipped. He makes another uh, double. And then on 18, makes a quad and was completely out of it at that point. But I, I, I know where Brandel Chambly stands on the Bryson and, and Brooks deal. I know, I know you don't like it. Um, do you think it's good for golf in any way, shape, or form? I don't at all. Um, you know, I, I think we're in an era now where people are very quick to confuse attention with achievement and. Brooks's uh, attempted to do that 
thinking that all attention is good. Um, and Paige um, uh, McKenzie um, made this point on our error saying, you know, trying to, again, divine out the nuance and Brooks saying that it brings eyeballs and ears and that's good for golf. And Brooks or Paige, who's become very, very good at, at everything and um, always was, but she's amazing. I think um, she was like, you know, if all attention was good, you know, uh, the LPGA could just play in bikinis and they'd get more attention. Um, but that undermines the, and objectifies the very thing that uh, shouldn't be undermined or objectified. Um, all attention is not good. Uh, in this particular case, he's gaining attention, at least in my view, um, by asking and going on social media to prompt people to harangue and heckle somebody during competition. Um, you know, I, I, that, that to me is, if it's, if it's not bullying, it's poor sportsmanship. So at the very least it's poor sportsmanship, but <clears throat> I think it's cyber bullying. And I think, <clears throat> I do think kids who are wanting to play this game or have any interest in this game, they watch that and they think, Oh, that's cool. That's cool. He got a lot of attention and a lot of interest. Uh, so that's cool to like, to um, to cross that line, you can cross that line. I know you could cross that line. That's cool. You can you can call people uh, to your purposes to go harass somebody, to go bully them on the golf course. That's cool. I I, I think this this whole idea that that we can't have ideals is misguided. Um, you're not. I'm not. I mean, ideals are good. Ideals of behavior are good. They're good to aim at, for sure. I mean, everybody may fall short. We all make mistakes, but that's not to say that we can't have ideal behavior. And what Brooks did is not ideal behavior. It doesn't represent. And I'm not some guy, you know, that that thinks that the game was, everything about the game was better in days of yore. But, but I think civility is important. Now, do you put it all on Brooks? You don't. You don't seem to be putting any of the blame on to uh, Bryson. Uh, I'm I'm unaware of what Bryson did that would have brought about uh, the response that that Brooks had, um, both in in the the first post that came about, unfortunate uh, as it did, the first post that came out, but it was his second post when he went online offering beer to people, and. Uh, um, you know, um, prompting people to harangue and harass, uh, Bryson. I don't, I don't know what Bryson did in this whole thing. What did Bryson I did? Do? I did see him this week at the open when, uh, Brooks was doing an interview, he was walking down behind it and he jumped up in the air and was doing whatever he was doing. I, I just, yeah. I, I think there's a little bit of blame to go on both sides. Um, I thought, I thought that personally, I thought that's Bryson, at least in my view, the way I took it, and I, you're the first person that's taken it another way. I thought that's Bryson trying to make light of something that is being a being a huge distraction in his life. Uh, and the first time Bryson got upset at being called Brooksy on the golf course, it brought about more people calling him that. Right. So I think Bryson reversed strategy, reversed course in an effort to stem the tide of this. 
this brought about a pretty nasty environment on the golf course for him, for sure. You know, I always look at Bryson as that that guy in school that does things differently, that's easy to pick on, that's a little socially awkward. And Brooks, he would be the cool kid at school. Um, you know, right. and 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 you know, I, I've I've just got my kids out of out of high school. My oldest one's out of college, but I was acutely aware of bullying in high school, and I would, you know, I, I'd pick my kids up from school and. They tell me things, and I'd go down to the school and and talk to parents and teachers. And I thought, you know, who's raising these kids that have no awareness or empathy for people that they are bullying? Who, who's raising these kids? Right. Uh, bully, bullying is a big deal. It, it, it's it's so pervasive n- now, not just in schools, but online everywhere. And oh, for sure. And so anything that tiptoes towards bullying cyberbullying is um it's it's disgusting um it's repulsive and to see brooks try to legitimize his words and his behavior and 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 give it a bigger reason other than harassing somebody um was laughable in my book um I, I, I hear Brooks is a nice guy. I've got friends that are friends of his and they, they say Brooks is a nice guy. Maybe he is, but I would say this, you know, this is a mistake in my view. Um, do you think I, the PGA was, tour needs to put a stop to it? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, how do you stop it? What's the best ending? What's, what's the best way to make this go away? Well, you know, when you're, when you become a PGA tour member, you, you sign a slip that you know you sign a piece of paper that says you will not disparage any other tour player. So, in my view, he's already violated uh, the one of the principles of being a PGA Tour player. And he, you know, I mean, any more fines they need to be six figures um, or suspensions. Um, yeah, it's it's not cool. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of you know if you put yourself in the commissioner's view these you know see these days it's like you know i, I it, it's you know you got a super golf league on the horizon uh you know you you know i mean it, it's difficult that you know the players have um have more power than probably is ideal for the well-being of the tour um but you know, if you're running the tour, you, you know, you, I, I think you have to stem this because this is, is, it's bad for the overall image of the players. People look at this and assume that that is the nature with which the game is played. And it's not, it's not consistent with anything um, in the game, but beyond that, it's just not ideal for, for any sort of behavior. Civility is important, you know, more civility means there's less violence. More incivility means there's more violence in society. Right. And is this civil or incivil? Yeah, we've this got enough is, violence going on right now around the world. We don't need to well, add any more. It, it comes from the incivility that, that people see and get stirred up on in social media. And this is right. just another example of incivility on social media <clears throat> that uh, – you know, you don't have to look very hard to see the incivility 
And incivility leads to more violence. It's as simple as that. This is not that complicated. Um, this, is, this is not the ideal behavior of one tour player towards another. Real quick, before we let you go, I do want to ask you about two, two other things. And you, you brought up one of them just then. But first, where, where are you on the green reading books? I know that talking about the PGA Tour, getting rid of green reading books, because reading greens is a skill. It's absolutely a skill. You've played on the PGA Tour, you know. Uh, are you for that, against that? I've never been for green reading books. I think I don't know how they ever got legal in the first place. Uh, I'm not for lines on golf balls. That shouldn't be allowed either. Um, and reading is a skill. And not only is it a skill, but the best green readers, you know, to read a green properly, you have to be completely out of thinking about technique with your stroke. See, the best green readers are, are the best putters. <laughs> People are, act like they have or they possess some skill that nobody else has. I would just argue it's not that they know how to read greens better. It's that they're not thinking about the mechanics of their stroke. And if you're not thinking about the mechanics of your stroke, your attention can go elsewhere and pick up on the nuances, the sheen. Uh, you know, you can, you can, you can, you know, this little slope, that little slope, uh, your body chemistry, all of those things. And then you, you put them together and, and then you, 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 you spit out a formula for it. And, and the, the more you are in the moment, the less you are thinking about mechanics, the better you're going to read greens and the, the more, the less you're thinking about mechanics, the more chance you're going to hit it solid. And the more solid strikes mean you get a better sort of feedback on what greens are going to do. So re reading greens comes about organically. Um, everybody has the capacity to do it. They just have to quit thinking about their stroke and pick up on the nuances. And that's sport. Right. Um, the green reading books are terrible. They've been terrible. Not one second. Have they not been terrible for golf? Uh, just like lines on golf balls are terrible. They're terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of using a line on a golf ball. When I got a three footer, I really do feel like it helps me. I do. I feel of like, course it does. I'm, and, and I'm surprised it is legal. You know, you watch these guys, the, you know, Bryson in particular, he'll line up the, cause we see him a lot, but he'll line up the line and he'll stand behind with his putter and line up, you know, the putter with the line. And now he knows exactly where to aim it. Uh, it's a bad look. How that's legal is beyond me. So good, good, you know, I mean, they, it's it's never too late to do the right thing, um, but it was sneaking up on too late to do the right thing. Good for them. <laughs> yes, yeah, so a green reading book supposed to go away um, next year. So something else you brought up on the horizon, there's all this talk of the Premier Golf League. Um, now, this is completely different for somebody who is confused. The Premier Golf League is different than the Saudi League that we have heard people talk yeah, about. Yeah, that's right. Completely two different things. Uh, is this Premier Golf League viable, number one? And number two, is it something that the tour should be worried about? Yes and yes. Um, you know, if you don't think that players can be enticed to to leave for, you know, tens of millions of dollars, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars, who knows? Right. Uh, you just haven't put yourself in their shoes. Um, you know, if somebody comes along and offers you three, four times the money to play less golf, um, <laughs> when you can still conceivably go play in the major championships. Um, and that the, the moral aspect of this is eliminated because apparently there's no Saudi money in it. Then it becomes <clears throat> this existential debate you know, um, you know, they are no longer free to come and go as they please. They're required to play those 
18 tournaments and they lose their PGA tour status, but not only do they lose their PGA tour status, let's say they go, okay. Being a superstar is, um, it's a roller coaster ride. Being a star is a roller coaster ride. So let's say you go over and play that tour and your game falls off. At what point do they get rid of you on the super right. golf league? Right. You know, do you play for it? Let's say you go over there and finish 40th on the money list and they've only got 45 players or whatever it is, but you finish towards the bottom. So now they discard you because you weren't playing enough tournaments to turn your game around. You didn't get that sort of, 20% of the tournaments you played, you never hit. So your star level fell just enough. And now then you are a man without a tour. Yeah, you can't come back to the PGA tour. You can't come play the corn Ferry tour. You can't go play the champions tour. You can't go play the PGA tour. Now, again, you know, will that hold up a court of law? They're convinced it will. And, and they've, they've, they've done their due diligence. I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure they're convinced it will, because you've signed such a statement that you won't do anything to hurt the tour. Um, among other lines, uh, in those paragraphs. So, uh, and the super golf league. So now then they have sort of a tenuous relationship with the lower orders of the players that they've asked to come over and risk everything. Because if, if a few superstars go over there and it's 15 of them um, watching the same players play each other week after week after week, will get very old. And by the way, you know, some of these tournaments are going to transpire in the middle East, which is going to put it at weird times that nobody's going to watch and the ratings are going to, not be warranted and people are not going to watch the same players beating the same players every single week. Right. What the super golf league is missing doesn't understand is one, you have to have a league to grow stars and to grow superstars. You have to have a feeder tour. Okay. If, if you don't, not only do you miss underdog stories, which are some of the most compelling stories. You just alluded to the 2008 U.S. Open with Rocco, but throw in Bob May 2000, throw in John Daly 1991, and I could go on and on about the underdog stories. That, that Even Michael Mustaki a couple of weeks ago, guy finally gets in the Monday qualifier. He didn't make a cut, but it's still a great story that people love to see an underdog get his chance. Yeah, I mean – Yes. I mean, look, there are under there are varying degrees of underdog stories in every tournament. Um, um, Every tournament has those. But occasionally underdogs come along and and go up against superstars. And it's it's must watch stuff. So the Super Golf League is not going to have one, not one underdog story. It will never have that. So there's no inspirational aspect to watching uh, the Super Golf League. There is pure entertainment at odd hours, asking players to give up every aspect of their freedom and potentially their ability to play on the PGA tour. Uh, it's a big ask. You know, they've got, they've got a lot of money in deep pockets. And so existential hurdles, I I've, <clears throat> I've argued against the Saudi golf league for obvious reasons. This one is for existential reasons and for nuanced reasons. Uh, I think, I think, uh, they got a lot of money and they, they, they think they can throw money at this problem and solve it. Maybe they will, but 
but uh, but I think they're missing some very obvious things that people tune in and watch golf for and also play professional golf for. Right. Now, I agree with you 100%. I think it is viable, but I can see where it, it is a very small window of opportunity there. And, you know, a really big player might do well, but then the pressure's on you to perform even more so than it is now because if it doesn't work out, like you said, you're a man without a home. And then you're without a home. And, and look, I mean, you know, uh, you could go over there a big star and lose your game and lose your stardom. And that happens. And you've got nowhere to play. You've yeah. got, and, and I mean, it wouldn't just happen to say a Ricky Fowler who lost his game and or Jordan Spieth who finished, you know, imagine if this thing would have come along in 2000, you know, 14, 15, one Brooks wouldn't been on it, but, but it, it came along and you go over there and you lose your game a little bit. You, Hunter Mahan. The guy was on top of the world for a while. And then right. now it has lost his game. He'd be gone. Done. See you later. Yeah, there's bye. no place for you to, there's no place for you to go try to figure it out and come back in onto the tour. There's, there's no place for you to play. So, um, you know, these things have popped up over the years, many, many times. Uh, but I think the tour did the right thing with their player incentive program. Um, anybody who doubts that or wants to criticize that, I think you just need to do a little research. So, uh, you know, there are all kinds of ways to explain uh, group dynamics and business dynamics, but there's uh, uh, a principle known as the Pareto uh, distribution, uh, Pareto principle, which says basically that the square root of any number of employees at any business, and this holds true pretty much if you look at the numbers, do 50% of the work. So if you have 100 employees, 10 of them are doing 50% of the work. They're your 10 most prized employees. Right. Okay. There's other ways to look at this. It's called the 80-20 principle. Um, there's numerous ways to that this is referred to, but but essentially it's the square root of the number of employees in any business that is responsible for 50% of the workload, they are the ones that are most easily recruited away. Companies lose their way when they lose those key players. It's very easy to lose them because they're the ones that they're the go-getters. They, right. they, they are up there early. They stay there late. They're creative. They work hard and they transform businesses. If you don't pay attention to those employees, and again, they're the easiest ones to get recruited away, the business can lose its way. And this is the tour paying attention to the most important, the most important employees, if you want to call them that. Absolutely. And saying, these, this is your incentive to stay. Now, they are incentivized by uh, retirement programs, the FedEx Cup, um, lavish purses, and the ability to come and go as they please. They can, they can enter. They, they are the general, the chief, the head cook. They're the whole thing. They can do whatever they want on tour as long as they play 15 events. And then, you know, to boot, um, if, uh, if you also sign some autographs and people enjoy watching you play, they'll throw more millions of dollars your way. I mean, I can't imagine a better scenario than, than living um, and playing most of your golf on the PGA Tour. There's nothing quite like it in the world. No, absolutely not. They, no, they're, they're absolutely protecting who they should, and you you can't blame them. Um, Randall, I appreciate your time really tremendously. It's always a, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, Thank you. We got, the, we got the Travelers this week. We yep. got a really, um, really good field at the Travelers this week, and the uh, Senior Players Championship going on this week as well. So we got some really good golf, and I believe there's a um, the European Tour has got the BMW International going on in Germany. 
I think Louis Ustazen's in that field. There's some other good players over there as well. So lots of good golf, and we're going to start seeing things kind of meander over the pond a little bit as we get as we get ready for the yeah, Open Championship in three it's, weeks. It's busy. I'm on a plane tomorrow, headed to to Hartford. I'll I'll be right in the thick of it, uh, doing a live from from Hartford. You're right. It's a good field. Uh, Andy Pissett, uh does such a great job of of getting players to come to that event. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It'd be be a, be a nice week, uh, and uh, I've enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me on your show. Appreciate it. We got the Travelers this week. We have got uh, Rocket Mortgage in Detroit the week after. And then, of course, the John Deere where everybody gets on a plane and they head over to play the Open Championship the week after. So lots of good golf coming our way. Brandel, thank you so much. I appreciate your time as always. You're always welcome as a guest here on the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you somewhere down the road. You got it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. And uh, be here next week. We're going to have country music singer Jake Owen, a huge golf fanatic, He'll be here on the podcast next week. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in to the Stripe Show podcast. I just want to interrupt this interview real quick and give a shout out to my friends over at Encore Golf. Encore provides some of the most cutting edge technology in a golf ball that I have ever seen. Their team in Buffalo, New York is changing the script of golf technology through their perimeter weighted designs, which offer players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course. With their award winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show.